spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. The show is brought to you by our generous patrons at Patreon.com slash Fallout Lorecast. Robots Radio presents The Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to The Fallout Lorecast. A place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Hey there, friends. This is your host, Tom of Robots, and it's all kind of blending into one name, Tom of Robots. That's going to be my new name from now on, or Overseer, as you're going to hear in this next episode. Uh, this is a nice long episode. I got to chat with Aperture Flash about pre-war stuff in the Fallout universe and what our lives would be like. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I did want to drop a little note here in the beginning. The audio is a little funny. Something happened in my recording of my voice. So there are times where it seems like it, it does a little skip thing or it actually pitch shifts my voice down a little bit, which is kind of weird. So I apologize for that. It's not unlistenable. It's just a little bit odd at times. So just want to let you guys know that that's what's going on there. Also, um, Wanted to put this in the front of the episode because it's exciting, but uh, I'm doing more and more work on YouTube videos to go along with some of the content that I'm creating as a podcast. And some of it is going to be all brand new content and some of it is going to be sections from the podcast that are reworked with some video and some other things. So if you want to go check that out, I would love to have you guys check out the YouTube. Uh, it, just search Robots Radio YouTube or look for my links in, on the Discord or on Twitter or whatever. I'm, I'm sharing that stuff as I make it. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. And dogs are barking in the background. So that means it's time to go. And I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Hey there, vault dwellers and wastelanders. Welcome back to another episode of the Fallout Lorecast. I am your host, Tom or Robots. And last week we had our patron call with all of our tier four patrons, except for one. Aperture Flash wasn't able to make it. He was making sure that he was alive while driving across the country in the freezing rain. <laughs> and so I, I chatted with him and he had some really fun ideas for getting together and talking uh, and actually giving him the opportunity to come and, and chat anyway, even though he missed the, the joint call. So we're doing this episode today about what the world was like before the bombs dropped and he has some really interesting ideas so i, I invited him to come back uh, he missed the last call but aperture how's it going welcome back to the show it's going great i'm up here in sunny north carolina avoiding the snow and uh feeling all around pretty good so thanks for having me back 
Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we get to chat. It's it's always one of my favorite things. And to, you know, have the pain of having to have two conversations with people I like to talk to every month. It was, you know, I was like, well, that's a no brainer. Well, <laughs> yeah, we, come appre- on the show. we appreciate your <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> so um yeah, sunny, uh, sunny and warm in North Carolina. That's where you're at. Oh, it's beautiful. My hometown's getting uh like thirteen centimeters of snow this week, so I'm pretty happy up here <laughs> yeah we uh we just had another cold front come through here in florida and it got down to like mm, the high 40s last night <laughs> so <laughs> so a, a nice warm spring day you know so yeah it's, it's like <laughs> during the days it, it gets up uh like in the 60s and 70s so it's just like open the windows <laughs> it's like you know maybe you have to put on a light jacket you know <laughs> real problems yeah so, yeah yeah, so a day in the life of pre-war society. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pretty so interesting. Have some thoughts about this. Why don't you? Why don't you just take this away? Let me know what you were thinking, and and let's let's dig into this idea of being in the Fallout universe pre-war because we get a little bit of a hint at that at the beginning of Fallout Four, and there's definitely a lot of uh, conversations and. Um, you know, leftover text and like emails and those kinds of things that you can read through in the games about what mm-hmm. that might have been like and advertisements and things like that. But we don't really get a whole real sense of what the world was actually like at the time. Right. So what do well, you think? Well, I've done a little bit of research here and, you know, granted, we, you and I, we lead very different lives and that would be that would transfer over the fallout world as well uh as many of uh your listeners know oh i guess now our listeners know um (laughs) (laughs) um, i am a canadian i'm very proud to be canadian and uh i haven't heard you say uh, hey once or a boot it'll come it'll come (laughs) up bud don't you worry (laughs) (laughs) don't you oh you said don't you there you go that's something that's one and then you'll just be like, right on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, Canada doesn't, um, doesn't fare so well in the uh, pre-war society of uh, Fallout. Um, as many people know, uh, Canada was annexed <clears throat> by um, the United States during the resource wars and mm-hmm. all that. So I-, I look at myself, I'm 26 years old. So that means I would have been on this beautiful uh, September afternoon of 2077 when absolutely nothing could go wrong in society and I'm looking forward to Halloween and everything's going to be great. Uh, That would mean I was born in 2051. uh, And so I would get about uh, a few years of being, you know, an independent Canadian and I wouldn't be part of the what is now known as Little America. Um, (laughs) it's funny actually one of the generals actually went ahead after the annexation started he said that uh, little america had always been united states property all along even even before this started so all right yeah like rewriting history and just gaslighting the world sure yeah you know yeah um so also many of your followers know and we mentioned already i'm a truck driver you know that probably wouldn't change um, but what probably would change is I would go from hauling, you know, general goods 
to hauling things like lumber or fuel or basically whatever natural resources Canada has to offer would uh, be then sent down to the war effort in the United States or sent up to the front lines in Anchorage. Right. This or, whole annex- or weapons. Or weapons. Yeah. yeah like you might end up be being recruited by the government to carry weapons and like power armor up to the war front. Yeah. I think, like, um, totally be a thing. I think I remember somewhere reading, um, that the, uh, power armor is like what? 5,000 pounds. So I could feasibly in my trailer, I could haul, um, do a little math here. Uh, I could haul 80 suits of power armor up to, uh, Assuming I remember the the correct weights, I could haul about eighty suits of uh, power armor up to the front line, just my one wow. truck alone. That would be that would that. be quite a uh, battalion of um, soldiers. <laughs> eighty? Can you imagine that? Like we haven't we've never seen something on the scale of that in a Fallout game because the engine just can't handle it. No, but the idea it, of it, coming across like one dude in a power armor suit is pretty intimidating, and we've talked about that on the show a lot. You know, like the actual extent of what that would be. What would that mean? Mm-hmm. That would mean, but eighty of them—that would be uh, frightening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a feeling my day. pants would turn brown very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so as I'm going down the road, I would be accosted pretty regularly by um, the National Guard uh, that would have uh, be mostly comprised of American troops and some Canadian troops that were basically drafted and assimilated into the uh, American National Guard because, right. you know, yeah. now that um, now that you guys own us, you know, we kind of got to play ball. And all we, this we always started, did, so, you know. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we got, funny that an American would say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just playing, I'm just playing my role in the conversation. Oh. Of course, of course. <laughs> it's not because you're a true patriot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I would have been a teenager when the annexation started. So I'd have been aware it was happening, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't realize just the implications of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my job would be greatly affected because uh, diesel prices have dropped up to around a hundred dollars per gallon um and yeah i was thinking about this i I was thinking about this like at some point diesel at least in the in the pre-fallout world it basically runs out america has some longer than everyone else but Mm -hmm. it it really gets worked out of the system i mean it seems like especially all the vehicles that we come across in the games that by the time those games are, or those vehicles are left around, that they're all basically mini nukes. <laughs> you know, they're all being powered by something else, a reactor of some sort. Yeah, it's a, it's a mini fission reactor from some of the reading I've done um, yeah. that powers um, most modern, modern uh, vehicles. Uh, I think gasoline was still available, but it was so prohibitively expensive that uh, you just um, didn't. <laughs> right. Now, how would something uh, like that work on something like a big rig? I mean, would I, I mean, I suppose you could build, you know, if in the fallout world, you could build something like that, that could drive a car, 
then mm-hmm. you could probably build something like that that would have enough juice to really, you know, haul. It would. Trailer. It would come to it, for for a tractor trailer. It would come down to it would essentially become uh, a steam engine again. Uh, that's based that from what I can tell uh, is since it couldn't be like you know like a jet car like we've seen some of them uh in some of the older games they had jet cars uh they had um you know it, basically it would, it would boil down to <laughs> boil down to being a steam engine yeah that's kind of uh, crazy to think powered, about powered by a nuclear <laughs> a nuclear reaction going on underneath the hood and since all those trucks are cab over engine style you i would be sitting literally on top of a uh nuclear reactor which um you know, I, I really don't trust Peter Belt or International to uh, do something like that. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't imagine the safety concerns with that. You know, like <laughs> you're driving something that that winds itself up through some sort of like steam engine and then gets mm-hmm. you know heading down the road, you know, seventy miles an hour. And if you come, you know, <laughs> face into a you know a tree, could completely destroy the local zip code. Yeah. Not only that, those vehicles are so, so low to the ground. Like, it would not be a comfortable ride. <laughs> There's a reason my truck has like a, a five inch clearance off the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, the biggest thing for me is since I am a Canadian citizen, my um, eligibility to uh enter the vault would be significantly lower than say you who who is a floridian by birth i mm-hmm. assume yeah. um yep. so you know when the vault well when the bombs drop i'm out here on my own <laughs> um doing the work i kind of i do i would have no need for mr handy I, you know i'd probably with the way the the way, excuse me, the way the economy is going, I'd probably end up either without a proper home or in like a trailer park kind of setup, which, you know, nothing against that. But uh, the economy it is change, basically it would change wrecked. your current setup significantly in, in a way that exactly. would make it very different from where how you how you're functioning now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean pretty much every major resource that uh canada had so our fresh water our lumber uh was it was a big one um you know all of our manufacturing as soon as america takes over in uh i think it was uh it ends in 2072 um america officially annexed canada in 2072 as the result of uh, protests and riots after they attempted to disrupt the Alaska pipeline, um, the states basically went, yeah, it's a safety concern. So we're just, uh, we're just going to take over. So uh, after 2072, uh, mass deforestation starts, they start draining our lakes. They start, you know, strip mining the country, country essentially. Right. Um, so, you know, my life would change pretty drastically um, if I was if I wasn't killed during the protests. If I wasn't found out to be a uh, a radical um, rebel, as they were being called, 
uh, I'd probably either be drafted, so I'd become a soldier going up to the front lines of Anchorage to defend that sweet, sweet oil. Yeah, you would have been like uh, just the right age too. I would have, yeah, I, I, I would have been a perfect candidate. I, you know, I've got heavy equipment operator background, so they'd have been. I probably would have gotten fast tracked to the uh, power armor division, which hey. would be great and awful at the same time. I'd imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to be put on the front lines in a in a global war where everybody is, you know, ready to nuke everybody else, basically, because that's where it goes, then mm-hmm. you know, at least having you know a few inches of metal between cool. you and everybody else is probably a good idea, right? Yeah, you know, I'd be all right with that. Um, yeah, no. Um, so, like, I'd be much closer, like, not to kind of put you down here, but I'd be a lot closer to the action than, say, someone like you who lives, you know, several thousand miles away down in Florida um, would be. So I would I'd probably get, it, it'd be like a Vietnam effect where um a lot of it was televised they were televising executions of mm-hmm. um canadian nationals they were um televising you know the takeover of whole cities the building of this pipeline so it, it led to a very mixed bag of emotions in america on how on how basically they were treating canada um so, like, how would you feel, Tom? You're, you're sitting in your nice, warm Florida, you know? Uh-huh, right. Uh, I, I assume mostly untouched by the war of Florida. And you turn on your TV and you see the black and white screen showing a power-armored American soldier basically executing a Canadian who was um, messing with the pipeline. Right, right. Where does... You know, where does the, the country's, um, you know, the needs of the country outweigh the moral objections to these kinds of things? Like, at what that's, point is it too much? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. That's a very timely question, too, especially with things happening in the world and, you know, recent events with Iran and, and all sorts of other things. And I'm sure lots of people have lots of different opinions about these these things. But um I think, I mean, this is one of those moral dilemmas that I like to bring up on the show because there's no easy answer. It's very exactly. easy to look backwards in history and say, well, if you lived in Germany in the 1930s, the early 1940s, and you were pro-Nazi, then you were part of the problem. Right. And at the beginning of that, like if you actually understand the history of that event, Germany was had been hobbled by the sanctions and things put against them uh, due to their involvement in world war one, you know, fairly enough because, you know, they basically were part of the problem that initiated the war and they were on the losing side. So that's what happens to the losers in those situations. Right. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like world war two was, was set off by attacks on telephone poles, right? Um, telephone poles. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that part. (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it's okay. I'm going to have to go down like a, you know, a rabbit hole of, of, (laughs) you know, looking into the telephone pole aspect of (laughs) the the beginning of World World War II. II. (laughs) Um, But, but the, the, you know, like if you were a good German citizen, then you wanted the best for your homeland and you wanted the best for your family and you might be struggling financially. And, and, and there was a lot that they were going through in the 1930s with the great depression. Like it definitely hit them. They were, you know, 
considered, you know, not a significant power and, and were basically hobbled and weren't supposed to have an army and all of these kinds of things. And you can see why people put in that situation, especially the generation that comes after the people who were put in that situation would have kind of, you know, a, a, something to prove (laughs) to say like, no, we, we belong in the world situation. We are strong. We are productive. We can, we can, you know, fend for ourselves, build an economy. We can do those things. And then all of a sudden a strong leadership arises and says, Hey, we are pro the people. We are going to bring back jobs. We are going to, you know, help the economy grow and we're going to put things right for our place in the world. And you go, yeah, heck yeah. That's what, of course we want that. Like that all sounds very good and very patriotic. And any good citizen of any country is going to want those things. And that's why that, uh, uh, you know, in the, the wake of seeing something like that in, you know, still in the lifetime of some people who are still around, we need to be, we need to double down on our ability to, to look at the kinds of people who are promising those things and, and second guess their motivations because, and this is something I've learned whenever somebody in power promises the thing that is obvious it is the obviously good thing to promise you, you mm. have to go well yeah no duh <laughs> you know like yes everybody <laughs> yes, wants we want that. to create jobs yes right. we want to help the economy yes we want to protect our citizens of course but how right right so and, and that's the thing is that like we all fall prey to this this is something that human beings fall to prey to all the time is well yeah of course i want that so yes i'm going to vote for you but then mm-hmm. it comes down to the how. You're, you're exactly right. That's the how question. Well, how exactly. do we ensure safety for the public? How do we grow jobs? You know, and if that involves, you know, taking things from other people and breaking international law and doing things that are significantly questionable, then that, that's where, you know, when you're part of a republic or a democracy or whatever system of government, the, the people have a voice. That's where we need to start standing up and saying, well, no, that's not okay. And that's a really tough question, you know, like at what point, you know, it it also, I think it also has to do with, um, I just stumbled over my own throat trying to get three (laughs) words at the same time. I think it also has to do with how dire the situation seems, um, Mm -hmm. in a situation where, uh, everything seems like it's going okay, then those kinds of acts are way more extreme Exactly. The, the idea of, you know, an American power armor soldier putting down a Canadian citizen for doing something like sabotaging the pipeline seems really extreme in a world where that's not common. You know, that's like, well, no, we don't do that. Yeah. There's significantly something wrong. I'm going to write my senator and I'm going to, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm going to complain about it on Facebook or what, you know, whatever <laughs> means I have of, of making us think about like, holy crap, that is way out of line. Um, but in a situation where it, if you're aware of what's going on at that time in history, that the bombs are being ready to deploy, that we are consistently in war and that might be actually the safest thing to do for both Americans and Canadians in some way to bring some sort of united front against the people against us, then you start going, well, maybe, maybe it's okay. I don't know. You know, but in all of the situations you would, you would hope that, uh, that, um, that conversations and diplomacy, uh, rule out 
you know, that kind of action first, you know, like historically, unfortunately, historically that's, that's what you'd want. But unfortunately in the world that we've crafted, um, this world being the fallout world, of course, um, diplomacy is, uh, considered, um, evil and like, well, you want to talk to the, to these communists about it that are threatening your American way of life? You know, you must be on their side. Why would you want to spare their life? I thought right, you were right. an American. You yeah, know? it's it's the problem with villainizing the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that that happened in the Americas in the 1950s. This idea of communism, which is still used today, there there when when uh, the right side of the aisle. Uh, claims that the left side of the aisle is socialist. What they're actually saying is those people are hidden communists and it rings of things that, that came about decades ago, which basically meant they are less than human. They cannot be trusted. And that, and that is, it is, it is speak that holds that in its history. Um, There are terms that people use that uh, do that with racism. Um, There, Uh there's all sorts of terms that we use that even though they aren't the original terms are uh, reflective of the original terms. Um, So those are, those are definitely things that we need to be careful about. And what I was going to say here is that you would hope that in a history like uh, the United States and Canada, being that we've been allies for so long and that we've served together in many conflicts and things like that, that it would never come to that. It would come to, Hey, we are united as a front. We will both be deploying our troops against the enemy. We are, going to share what resources we can in order to make sure this works out, you know, like that there's going to be some, some working together there. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Trouble is, is it started out that way. In um, 2067, um, uh, one second. Yeah, one tw- uh, in 2067, Canada actually allowed um, American troops onto uh, Canadian territories and lands to um, guard the pipeline. Trouble is, is uh, American troops kind of didn't stop at the pipeline. They, they, they slowly started spreading out to uh, outside of the jurisdiction. And this is where the protests and the, uh, the riots we're starting to break out. Right. And, and was that directed by somebody further up the chain? Probably. Was that the plan Probably. all along? Probably. Probably. Usually <laughs> troops don't make those decisions, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, the, it's the superiors who are the ones pushing that, you know, that agenda because it does have international implications. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, and that's where the quality of your leaders really comes in. You know, like there, yeah. there is a difference between, somebody who is truly a patriot and somebody who truly cares about the world stage and the livelihood of everybody on the planet and somebody who's in it for themselves. And, and, and you can see that in the decisions they make and it's, you know, and, and this isn't like, I I hope people are listening to this conversation thinking it's some sort of cloaked agenda for like pro conservative or pro uh, liberal (laughs) anything, because it's not, I, I, my, my whole thing about uh, making decisions in education is always continue learning because only through your continual education and seeking the truth in something can you actually make educated decisions. Um, exactly. So I don't want to tell anybody what to think. I would rather 
help them understand that you can always look more critically into something in order to come to a better understanding and keep updating your opinions about things. I, I think that that's important. So that's a fantastic philosophy to keep. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you think you have all the answers, you don't like mm -hmm. as soon as you stop learning, then you're wrong. <laughs> you, you need yep. to keep learning. Uh, I had a conversation <laughs> with a coworker the other day where um, they brought up, they brought up some, some debatable topic and uh -oh. I was like, well, that's interesting because my opinion about this is this because of the research I've done here, here, and here. And another coworker chimed in and they were like, oh, and I, and I made the point, you know, like, well, if your opinion is this, then wouldn't it make sense to at least look into some of the evidence that I've dug up and see what you think about it? Because you might want to change your opinion. And another coworker chimed in and was like, was like, Tom, you seem like the last person who would change their opinion. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, I change my opinion all the time. Like that's, that's my whole thing is that if there's better, more consistent and more accurate evidence, then I'm willing to admit that I don't know things and I'll, I'll take up the new idea, you know, like, but Which is an incredibly foreign idea to a lot of people. Unfortunately, it's amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, like if I feel like I've been researching something for a very long time and I have a substantial amount of proof for it, then I'm going to share that as well and say, well, I feel pretty strongly that this is, you know, enough evidence to account for this. You know, like, like you look at something like, um, let's just take something that is silly to, to debate for most people. Like the earth is round, you know, like <laughs> there is a substantially larger amount of evidence for the earth is round than there is that the earth is flat. And if you Listen, look across Tom, all I sorts of different <laughs> I lay my ruler down on the ground and yeah. it's flat. All right. Yeah, well, it's, it's flat right here. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, like at some point you, you gather enough evidence, but that doesn't mean that it, it can't be updated in more nuanced ways. You know, like, mm -hmm. well, guess what? Hills exist. Holy crap. It's not a perfect sphere. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, I, we're kind of, we're kind of off track here, but this, this is getting into my philosophy of like knowledge and, and things. Um, that was, that was exactly my goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's another thing that I thought I was thinking when, when you're talking about like our two different lifestyles and, and where we live and how things would be different. Um, mm -hmm. you, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. I would have been past conscription age and I didn't serve right. in the military growing up. So I wouldn't have been brought back for, right. you know, like from some sort of officer thing or anything like that. Uh, but, um, and, and I live in Florida. So you may have been conscripted and on the front lines, but once the bombs dropped, I live in Florida. Miami is like, I live in the middle of the state. Miami right. is what? 250 miles South. Like about that. It's like, holy crap. That is a population center that will get targeted. And if mm -hmm. Miami's targeted and they're dropping bombs in most major population centers, then like the center of the state, the Tampa, Orlando, uh, mid center of the state area is significant. I mean, there's, I mean, heck, there's a lot of tech companies and things in the area. Like, yeah, you, I, could, like I could see Robco having a setup down there. Oh yeah, totally. I drive past, um, you know, companies that are, that I know work in things like aerospace and, um, there's tech companies over, over in, uh, Tampa that I know, I, I know people who work in them and they are doing, uh, software or, uh, you know, like military applications, 
There are, yeah. there are companies over in the middle state, like in Lakeland in Orlando that are doing aerospace stuff. You know, I mean, you've got, right. you've got NASA, you've got the space center, like all of that oh, stuff right. across the middle of the state. So when the bombs dropped, you would have been off in the wilderness somewhere fighting a battle. <laughs> I'd have been blown to kingdom come. I'd, I'd be gone. Like this True. whole, like Florida's probably underwater <laughs> by this point. <laughs> Fair <laughs> like, enough. It's just gone. So, and it's not like we would have had vaults in most of Florida because you can't dig underground. Like um, the water, the water table is too high. True. So most places in Florida don't have, um, and this is something some people may not know, especially if you live up in the North, like everybody has a basement. Most places in mm-hmm. Florida don't have basements. Um, they where do you, where do you store your winter tires? <laughs> we don't have winter tires. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I we guess have you don't garages. Need a then. <laughs> yeah, we have garages and attics. That's that's about it. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, we I, I'd get one up. And if I had any forewarning at all to be able to join a vault, then I probably would have had to at least drive up to the northern part of the state where that they would have where they would have actually been able to dig down and create one. Um, do you feel like you would uh, that'd be enough of a concern for you that you would actually? do that or uh would you kind of try and uh basically you know it's not gonna happen you know Hold out. yeah uh, just, just, yeah oh it'll be fine uh that's okay so i've got i've got two thoughts on that uh one <laughs> i posed this question on twitter just the other day of like if the vault tech salesman if it's like 2076 and he walks up and knocks your front on your front door and tries to right. sell you a package for a vault or five hundred dollars current our our money a month yeah or a year five hundred dollars a year no I said a month five hundred dollars a month for your subscription to be able to enter a vault which is a lot of money but it's, that is a considerable amount it's but it's a significant thing like right like you're kind of paying yeah. it off it's kind of like an insurance thing right you're paying it off I, right. and, and as far as I know there's no actual literature out there about how much the vaults cost to get into or how they paid for them so I'm guessing it would have been a Hey, sometime in the next few years, you might need one of these. Start paying for it now. It'll guarantee you a spot. Um, and I, I X remember amount of time reading pay somewhere that, that it was implied somewhere in Fallout 3 that it was, uh, if you weren't selected for like, for like a uh, experimental vault, it was considerably expensive to get in. Yeah, I would but, imagine. But like, like upper middle class, you're just scraping enough to get into it. Right. Right. So yeah, like if you had a family of four, that would be, if it's $500 a person, that'd be $2,000 a month. That would be, mm-hmm. that would be, uh, more than what you're paying for your house probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if you're upper middle class, even if you have a, you know, three to $400,000 home, that's still more than you're probably paying for your house every month. Um, right. You know, if you have like a 30 year loan and all that stuff, but uh, let's not go into the economics of, of it all. But, <laughs> but yeah, at that cost, that's, I mean, that's a lot of money. That's mm-hmm. so I would have to be two things. I would have to be knowledgeable enough about what was going on in the world to feel like that was absolutely going to happen. And I absolutely needed to do it. And um, uh, two, I, I, trusting enough of, of the company to believe that that would be something that we could actually get to and would, right. would save us. Um, and I had another thought. I, I know I, I came up with, oh, I mentioned uh, on the Twitter uh, how 
uh, on the Twitter. I like to I like to call things funny things <laughs> on purpose that it just kind of ingrains it ingrains in me, and then I say it comfortably, and then I'm like, <laughs> now I just sound like an idiot who doesn't know what, what I actually say. Um, <laughs> uh, the Twitter works. That's what we call it in Canada. The Twitter. Oh, the Twitter. Uh, yeah, the Twitter. Uh, yeah, but a lot of people had different opinions. Like some people were like, "Yeah, absolutely," and other people were like, "No, we know what happens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, deal with it out here in the world." Um, mm-hmm. Oh, here was the other thought. The other thing is that in Florida, we deal with uh, catastrophic events uh, many years in a decade because we get hurricanes yeah. that come through, right? Right. And um, I drove through Hurricane Michael just last year. Did you? Yeah, I was up in the the Panhandle and saw mm-hmm. a year and a half later that it still looks like a bomb went off because of the hurricane that hit up in Panama City. Um, yep. And it it's crazy looking. And I've lived in Florida my whole life, and most of the time, you worry about it, and then the hurricane hits, and the people on the coast get hit pretty hard. And then Destroyed. by the time it crosses through the state or whatever, it's it's not too bad. And it's you know a few days off of work, and you got to clean the you know branches out of your yard and that kind of thing. But for the most mm-hmm. part, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. So, and, and because that it's the, not the worst thing in the world, there are a lot of Floridians who feel like, nah, I don't need to evacuate. It'll be fine. I've lived <laughs> through like five of these. Um, so we have this mentality of like, nah, we'll just hunker down. And another note here, and I don't mean to run away with this too long without no, please do. Um, <laughs> the word hunker, you never use the word hunker unless it's connected to down. Hunker up? Yeah, it doesn't you know, feel right. <laughs> you know, hunker. Let's hunker around the table. Like you, you don't like. I'm just gonna hunker hunk, to the left. Hunker around everybody. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Like you don't like hunker down is the only is, is basically one word now, so it should just be its own word. Um, yeah. It also feels very southern. Hunker. We're gonna hunker. <laughs> I'm gonna um, head on down to the hunker station. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go to the hunker and hopper and get me some beer. <laughs> Um, I don't like, it sounds like there's, there's one of those words that feels like it, it has been co-opted by, uh, like the Southern Something. community. I don't know. Um, certain <laughs> words feel like they belong to certain, uh, speech areas. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I have a feeling that a lot of us in Florida would be like, man, it's going to be fine. We're not going to get bombed. It'll be fine. They'll <laughs> bomb DC or, you know, somewhere like that. The one or two bombs will go off. We'll have to live through the, you know, financial replications and, but yeah, yeah, I think in, in general, Americans are just way too uh, conveniently comfortable. And that's part of the problem <laughs> is that because we're so comfortable, we have a hard time really standing up and doing things, uh, you know, that make a difference. Well, that was a that was a big issue. Um, like they, they kind of cultivated that society uh, pre-war with uh, things like the personal robots. The Mr. Handy was there, too. You know, you wouldn't even need to leave the house if. Um, if you could teach the Mr. Handy where the local grocery store was or, um, you know, like, and since the economy was so, so just absolutely destroyed, they did the same thing. Like if you look at the foods that you find in the wasteland, like, like what's the first pre-war pre-war food you think of, um, that you find in the wasteland right off the top of your head. Uh, cram. Cram. Okay, perfect. That is a highly salted, <laughs> right. uh, heavily preserved food. It's basically uh, spam. Yeah, it's just called cream. yeah spam, which yeah. you know came out during the recession. Uh, right. You got your dandy boy apples, your Nuka Cola, your everything that's so heavily filled with preservatives and sugar. Well, the reason they did that is because in the recession, the like the original twenties, 
uh, recession, um, there were a few issues with the supply chain for food. First of all, um, people couldn't afford proper food, so it'd sit there on the on the shelf and rot, which is why you know the food in Fallout is still good because they started pumping it with so many um, preservatives, you know, yeah. preservatives and mm-hmm. sugars and salts to keep it lasting until people could actually could afford to buy it. And you see all this sugary food because it's just replacing the calories, the basic calories that we need from real food to keep us on our feet. Like in, in that opening, um, opening scene in fallout four, when you open up uh, the refrigerator and you look in, I mean, it's probably very different from your, or my refrigerator at home. Like, um, You've probably got a pretty, I'm guessing you've got a pretty full refrigerator, right? Well, we, we eat out a lot. I'm really bad at well, leftovers, but, but yeah, yeah. I, get, I get what you're saying though. Like you know, you milk and your, and your bread and your, you know, all of the, uh, you have a lot of, you know, like fruits and vegetables, you leftovers, fruits, leftovers. vegetables, yeah, condiments. Have, it's a combination well, of things that will stay a while, but then things that are, you know, fresh and that you had mm-hmm. to get that week in order to make your meals. And then. Yeah, totally. exactly. Yeah. Well, in the in the fridge in Fallout, you know, you've got your Nuka Colas, you've got your your Dandy Boys, and he got, really he's got milk and eggs, and that's about it. Because even though they look happy and idyllic, and they got their personal robot, food is expensive, yo. Um, yeah. So you and I would we'd either <laughs> we'd either be skinny because we can't afford to eat properly. <laughs> or on the other side of the coin, we'd be fat because we can't afford to eat properly. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's one of the problems of, um, like, in general, that's one of the reasons why there are weight problems. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, I mean, burps, excuse me. <laughs> as, I, as I drink a, a diet soda. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm drinking Diet Dr. Pepper over here, buddy. I get you. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's one of the reasons why there's, you know, health and, and weight problems is that people are either undernourished and underfed or they're undernourished and over, you know, uh, sugared because they mm-hmm. eat a lot of, uh, you know, fats and sugars instead of, you know, healthy, fresh foods and, and actual, you know, well-prepared meals. Yeah, I mean, a Big Mac is cheaper than a salad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it boils down to, right. and um, so yeah. Um, do you think you'd uh, get into the Mister Handy craze? Yeah, you know, I like I like my technology. Um, if anyone's yeah. seen the live stream, I've got you know crazy computer monitors and all my recording gear and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> I think I would. I think that's one of the, especially, you know, in a family where uh, both spouses work and it's nice to be able to not have to go to the grocery store because you're both too busy. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I could totally mm-hmm. see it. I, I, I think that um, in my situation, we would be, you know, the typical middle class family who was concerned, but too busy to really right. do too much and too comfortable. And that's, it's unfortunate because, um, you know, once you admit that that's kind of the way things are, that it kind of makes you feel like, well, that's, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that I was a little bit more, uh, proactive in my morality. But yeah. Sometimes looking in the mirror can be difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the first step is admitting that you have a problem. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is why the first half hour of every Fallout 4 campaign is spent staring in the in the literal bathroom mirror. <laughs> right, right. Who am I really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, do you have any questions for the Canadian who has been drafted into the U.S. Army? Uh, <laughs> like anything like that? Anything you yeah. need that? You think, um, I don't know. Uh, well, okay. Yeah, I've, I've got some. I've got some. So um, from your background, would you, would you have stood up against the U.S. Uh, taking over land, the pipeline, all of that kind of stuff? Um, or would you have been complacent at um, first? I would, at first, I would have been complacent. Uh, well, you, you know what? No, probably not, because there there are more parallels, like with the um, with the pipelines that are being built right now. Um, I don't know how much of Canadian politics you follow, but we're having a pretty big issue where the government, who was supposedly, you know, super pro environment and pro indigenous rights, mm-hmm. uh, just bought a pipeline uh, that uh, I think it's the the Keystone. Um, they um it goes through indigenous land and there's several fears just like the dakota pipeline that it's going to burst and it's going to destroy the water uh, tables and it's going to pollute everything so i I feel like i would be opposed but in the line of work i do i don't really have time to be out at protests so I would be a moral opposition, but I probably wouldn't really do anything about it. So I'd fly under the radar. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's say we've moved forward to you've been conscripted. Okay. Would you feel, how would you feel about being conscripted in part of the military in that situation? Would you feel like, well, I need to fight against the real problem anyway. So here I am. I might as well. Or would you, um, would you kind of harbor a, like, ah, stupid Americans making me fight their battles for them? You know what? A part of me wants to say that I would be a good soldier and I would uh, do my best to kind of just get this over and done with. But um, no, I would be furious that the United States would uh, come down and make me, you know, fight their, as you said, fight their battles for them. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would probably be disobedient. I would, I, I'd probably end up getting myself killed or put into a, a prison. <laughs> yeah, do something you like, rebel internally until you get caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I would end up at Big Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so. The other thing that this makes me think about is uh, on our uh, next patron episode at the end of this month we're going to be talking about um our thoughts on what would be cool locations and and ideas for fallout 5 mm-hmm. and it you know like a lot of the u.s would get bombed a lot of the major population centers would would have been hit yeah but there are large swaths of canada that are um you know most of the populations along the southern border and there are some other places where they're not but for the most mm-hmm. part, there's a lot of land in Canada that is unoccupied that That's, if you were trying to find a place to survive, you could go build a cabin in the woods somewhere and, you know, 
probably be okay. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it would be interesting. And we haven't seen a whole lot about Canada in the, you know, the other fallout games, but to, to get kind of a more Northern perspective and to see what the people of Canada would have done to band together and find places for safety and then maybe move South again, back into the more uh, wastelandy parts of North America, having survived in a place where they might still have clean water and stuff, you know, it's cold. It's probably cold as, yeah. as heck, but you know, at least, at least they survive. At least you can drink the water. Yeah. Yeah. You can drink the water. You can, you build a fire, you can keep yourself warm. You can hunt for animals that aren't irradiated, you know, those kinds of things. Well, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, Toronto has actually been mentioned in fallout three during the pit DLC. Uh, it was mentioned as being still being a strong military power when uh, the head dude there, I, I fortunately I can't remember his name right now. Um, he's giving this big speech to the slaves of the pit. Uh, and he mentions that we'll grow a military even stronger than Ronto, which most people <laughs> have, uh, uh-huh. have um, theorized that he's actually talking about Toronto. Um, and I mean, it's, it's been mentioned in, uh, new Vegas as well, uh, in the, uh, honest arts, sorry, H- honest hearts DLC <laughs> where <laughs> I saying that 10 times drunk, um, where it's, uh, the, the, the survivalists rifle is actually made at the, the, uh, long branch armory and which is in Toronto. Mm. Uh, I actually used to walk by that all the time. Uh, it's in a sketchy neighborhood, but that, <laughs> it's not yeah. here nor there. Right. Um, I feel like Toronto would probably get nuked, but it seems like they, they come through pretty well. Toronto and Winnipeg yeah. would be pretty heavily bad areas to be, but it, you're right. There's so much of our landmass is just unoccupied uh, wildlife. Um, right, right. Forests and just open land. Um, I, I can imagine if you lived, lived in a place like Toronto, you could drive two hours, three hours away in, mm-hmm. you know, north and yep. probably ended up in a place that was pretty remote. And you, you might watch the mushroom clouds on the horizon, but you, you might be safe. And if enough people did that and survived, you know, 200 years and repopulated the area and rebuilt outside of the main part that was mm-hmm. bombed and irradiated, then you could have another community rise up in a few generations. Um, well, hell, hell the uh, Algonquin National Park is only uh, a two and a half hour drive down the 400 uh, from Toronto. So you're absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. I think that would be a really cool thing to see in in a future fallout game is you know, both what's happened in uh, Canada and in Mexico, because, you know, Mexico had its own situation with the U S uh, but it also probably wasn't as much of a priority for bombing. Yeah, no, um, oh, Mex- a fallout in Mexico would be wild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you know, was what, a, if a- what if it's even further in the future and um nature is starting to reclaim a lot of the land and the irradiation is starting to go away, but you still have all these crazy creatures running around and those kinds of things. And the predominant cultures that have now encroached in on the United States are coming from the North and South. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And that's, that's another um, point I meant to touch on. Uh, You and I 
in pre-war society would start to notice a lot of nuclear waste um, popping up. It was rampant um, that, uh, you know, they would hide nuclear waste pretty much everywhere, like under your gas station in your, uh, (laughs) in your parks, they were, I mean, wandering the wasteland, you find them everywhere, but uh, you and I would already be irradiated. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But people who are living more rurally, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I would love to hear some of our listeners thoughts on this too. Like being who you are and where you are in the world. What, what would your situation be like if this was the year before the bombs drop 2076 and you are who you are today? What would you, you know, would you be how would your world be different? Kind of like what we discussed. And where would you fall in the whole political spectrum? Would you go into a vault? All of that kind of stuff. Because I, I think it's really one of the fun things about these games is putting yourself in those situations. And that's one of those situations that we haven't really gotten to live out yet. We've all, well, you know, most of this time we've been post bombs in, in you know, the future. But, um, you know, put yourself in there and, and, and what would it be like? So, yeah. So uh, thanks, Aperture Flashlight. It feels like it's time to wrap up the episode. Um, if, uh, if those of you listening want to chime in on this conversation, there's conversations happening on the Discord all the time. There's links in the show notes. You can always send me notes on Twitter or uh, by email. And also, Aperture Flash is around. How do, how do they get hold of you? Well, uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram and Discord at Aperture underscore Flash. I also have a Twitter by the same name. Um, if you find yourself in a truck stop, write a message for me on the bathroom wall. I'll likely see it and I'll (laughs) respond in, in turn. And if you have a CB radio, turn it to channel one nine. And if I'm in the area, I will be happy to chat with you. Yeah. And even in the ladies room, which is weird. (laughs) Listen, man, don't ask me, don't ask me how (laughs) this works, but it, it, it it does. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, Twitter, discord. Uh, Instagram. I'm pretty happy to chat. Cool. Cool. Well, this has been a yeah. really fun discussion. I'm, I'm glad we were able to set this up, even though you couldn't make it last week. Um, and if, yeah. if any of you guys are interested in joining us, uh, there's, I think we're at seven or eight people again for this month so far. We might have to break it up into like two part episodes if we have too many, but, um, you're, you're always welcome to go to patreon.com slash follow Lorecast and subscribe on there even for one dollar a month you get like ad free episodes and most of the rewards anyway but then the rewards kind of stack up and then by by tier four you get to join us at the end of the month for a patron call and kind of share some of your ideas and thoughts about what you would do with fallout 5 and where you would set it so i look forward to hearing everybody's thoughts on that oh and um aperture i've been doing more uh videos on youtube now that i've my schedule's kind of freed up and congratulations um, on, on, on that, by the way, being able to free up your schedule for this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, things are, you know, uh, financially tight. So, I, you know, I hope people continue to support and help me, <laughs> help me continue to do this because it's been very nice to have, have that support, which is significant in being able to do this for sure. Uh, mm. like I just took, um, some of our, the third episode, the vault tech episode and, uh, reworked it for, um, some video and stuff. And it actually just released it today on oh, YouTube. Awesome. So yeah, if you go check out the robots YouTube channel, um, it's the links in the show notes, just search robots radio, YouTube, you'll find it. Uh, but I'm doing a bunch more, more video content and all sorts of fun things. So yeah. Tune in oh, for all sounds that stuff. great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. Enough with the, uh, 
the uh, ad, ad <laughs> talk. I, I really do appreciate you hanging out with me again. This has been a lot of fun. Hey, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, Overseer. <laughs> I, should, I should just go by the Overseer. <laughs> I am no longer robots. I am simply the Overseer. Oh, overseer robots. All right. Yeah, it, it both works. <laughs> you know. All right, man. Well, have a good uh, next few weeks, and I look forward to chatting with you at the end of the month. Hey, you too, man. Keep the shiny side up and the dirty side down. <laughs> All right. Is that truck talk? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, have a good week, and I'll talk to everybody else uh, next week on our next episode. See you guys later. <laughs> Bye now. All right. And scene. And <laughs> scene. And cut. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, that was great. Oh, that was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I got a little rambly at parts. It's all right. <sighs> no worries. Let's hope I move. Bye, Craig. <sighs> yeah. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon.